welcome to All About Agatha, the podcast dedicated to reading and ranking every single mystery novel written by the queen of crime, Dame Agatha Christie. I'm Kemper Donovan. I'm Catherine Brobeck. And this week we are marpling. It is time for another Miss Marple short story. Oh, happy day. Catherine, what are we discussing today? We are discussing the case of the perfect maid. Very intriguing. And we know Miss Marple uh, loves her maids. Can you tell us a little bit about the publication history of this one? So it was first published in April 1942 in the UK, in the Strand, as The Perfect Maid. And then subsequently in the Chicago Sunday Tribune in the U.S. as The Maid Who Disappeared. And then, of course, it was subsequently collected in Three Blind Mice and Other Stories, which was published in the U.S. in 1950, and then in Miss Marple's Final Cases in the U.K. all the way in 1979. All right, well, let's dive right in and talk about our victim. This is another rare Miss Marple that is not a murder mystery. We do have a puzzle mystery here, thank the Lord. So we have a victim of sorts who is a housemaid named Gladys, cousin of Miss Marple's maid at the moment, her maid du jour, Edna, who has been fired from her job seemingly for stealing. Her employers haven't come right out and said that, but that is the implication. And as we know, people will talk in St. Mary Mead. Very much Who are our suspects, Catherine? Well, Gladys, who I guess (laughs) could be the thief. I mean, that's entirely possible. The only indication that she's not is that Miss Marple firmly does not believe that she is. Then next up, we have Emily Skinner, an invalid spinster who Gladys had been working for and whose brooch was stolen. And it was this brooch that caused the kerfuffle with Gladys. Right. And then we have Lavinia Skinner, who's Emily's caretaker, um, very put upon sister, who's actually the one who fires Gladys after Gladys um, breaks a plate. Also a maiden lady, right? They're, I like how they're referred to as the Mrs. Skinner. Yes. <laughs> very, very Jane Austen. You don't get a lot of plural Mrs. in Christie or 20th century literature. In Not general. very often. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, rounding out our suspect list really is anyone else who lives in the building where the Skinners are housed. And those people are mentioned in the story, but they truly aren't ever really suspects. And in fact, really Gladys is the only suspect. So we're going to go ahead and not list them right now and move right along to the world as it appears to be. Right. So Miss Marple's maid Edna is deeply upset and she comes to our beloved Jane for help. Uh, You see her cousin, who is a bit of a ditz, but generally well-intentioned, has been fired from her job working for the sisters Skinner. And it's because of the circumstances, no one in St. Mary Mead is ever going to be willing to hire her again, because as we well know, news travels fast in St. Mary Mead. And so supposedly... Gladys stole jewels from Emily Skinner, then put them back when she thought she was going to get caught. And then on top of that, broke a dish by accident. And that was like the straw that broke the camel's back. Right. Gladys tells her cousin Edna, I didn't steal them, but I know that's what she suspects that I did because this brooch just seemed to magically show up at the back of a drawer, you know, stuffed to the back of a drawer. And 
Gladys can tell that her employer suspects that she stole it, but she says, no, 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 it wasn't me. I do love, by the way, that when Edna first comes to Miss Marple and says, oh, my cousin Gladys is in trouble, Miss Marple says, dear me, her mind leaping to the worst, and alas, the most usual conclusion, not not in trouble. And, and of course, we all know what Miss Marple in trouble means, means by that. Right, of course. <laughs> I know. Oh, Miss Marple, always thinking the best of folks, but yeah, she's dirt, got a, a point. Dirty mind, I suppose. That is a, you know what? That is a common problem that people have had since the beginning of time and will continue to. I feel you, Miss Marple. So Miss Marple is immediately perturbed, not because she likes Gladys. She actually really does not like Gladys. Definitely not. <laughs> it's very clear that she finds Gladys kind of annoying. She apparently bounces around her kitchen on her days off with Edna and just seems rather self-important and irritating. But she knows Gladys well enough that she finds it extremely hard to believe that Gladys is a thief. She does believe that this girl has intrinsic honesty in her character. Mm-hmm. That, that is not a conclusion Miss Marple comes to lightly, as we all know. So if she truly believes in someone's honesty, I think we should probably assume that it's true <laughs> because right. Miss Marple will disbelieve someone's honesty at every turn if she can. So on top of this, Miss Marple knows a little bit about the sisters Skinner and believes them to be a little odd themselves. So in her Miss Marple-ish busybody way, she says, you know, I I uh, was going up that way this afternoon and, uh, you know, I'll have a word with the Mrs. Skinner about Gladys and all of that. Right. So the sisters live in Old Hall, which is like Victorian mansion on quite a bit of acreage. You know what Old Hall is? Because in St. Mary Mead, there are only two major estates. There's Gossington Hall, occupied by, of course, the Bantries. And then there's Old Hall, which is very much featured in Murder at the Vicarage, which is the residence of Colonel Prothero who is the murder victim of that story and his wife, Anne and his daughter, Lettuce. And we can see the passage of time here because, sorry, were you just laughing at the fact that <laughs> there is a character in a Christie novel named Lettuce? I mean, I was just reminded. I was just, yeah. you know, it never hurts to be reminded that that exists. It never hurts. Never hurts. But, you know, we can see this is not the only tidbit of information we get that indicates the passage of time. We will, we will get to something else uh, later on in the story, but we can see that some time has passed here. And clearly, Old Hall was not successfully sold to another no. family after Colonel Prothero was killed. Probably not surprising. I think that house had some bad juju and lingered on the market for a while and apparently had to be divided up into four flats. Right. As, in fact, is sadly often the case with a lot of giant Victorian mansions. I mean, you see it all the time. In these four flats now, we have four couplings, I guess. We have um, an eccentric bird lady and her maid. And by bird lady, I mean she has a lot of birds. (laughs) (laughs) Literally exactly what that sounds like. And then there's a retired Indian judge and his wife and a recently married young couple, and then the sister Skinner, who moved in a mere two months ago to St. Mary Mead. And none of the neighbors particularly know one another. Right, which the landlord really likes, because it means that they can't get on each other's nerves and get into fights and give him grief. <laughs> right. <laughs> makes sense. Yeah, that, that, that totally makes sense. 
So Miss Marple uh, notes that the town thinks very little of Emily Skinner and almost less of Lavinia because Emily seems to be somewhat of a hypochondriac. She's constantly in bed from some form of what the town would consider and is referred to as malingering in the story, i.e. pretending to be sick to shirk, you know, those duties that regular humans have as they go on with their lives. Um, And yeah, no one really believes that she's actually ill because she refuses to be seen by Dr. Haydock, who of course has been featured in many of these Miss Marple stories, the town doctor of St. Mary Mead. She's only been seen by London doctors who she says are specialized enough to understand her, you know, just very complicated condition. She also puts impossible tasks on Lavinia, like finding her oysters at the very last moment, et cetera. Lavinia is constantly running down to the shops in search of various outlandish things for her sister. And Miss Marple's visit to the sister Skinner while Gladys is still working there doesn't necessarily clarify anything other than confirming that dysfunctional relationship. The fact that Emily seems to be running Lavinia ragged and also Gladys, who is still a maid there at that point. She has not been fired yet and seems pretty miserable. Back in St. Mary Mead itself, everyone is gossiping, naturally, both about Gladys and um, then about the fact, once they fire Gladys, that the Skinners will never find a new maid because it's very hard to come by good help in St. Mary Mead. But I guess they don't need to worry because almost immediately, suspiciously soon, the sisters get a quote-unquote domestic treasure named Mary Higgins, who is quote-unquote quite the good old-fashioned type of servant, as Miss Marple puts it. And so when Miss Marple stops by after Mary Higgins has been hired, Lavinia seems much less harassed. The sisters seem well taken care of, even if Emily, the invalid, you know, is still, you know, not up for company and is still in her bed. She's apparently doing, you know, well enough to be overheard yelling at Mary Higgins, which is lovely. (laughs) (laughs) And Mary goes to fetch Lavinia to go speak with Emily and she sees out Miss Marple, at which point Miss Marple, as she's leaving, uh, drops her bag. And all the contents of Miss Marple's bag fall out. And so Mary, of course, being the good old-fashioned type of servant, helps her take the items, including a sticky candy, um, which she offers to throw away. And, you know, there are various other bits that fall out of Miss Marple's bag, including a mirror, um, which thankfully does not break. (laughs) (laughs) and uh, these are all put back in Miss Marple's bag and she heads back on her merry way right and that sticky candy by the way Miss Marple is like oh how did that get in there and she surmises that it came from Mrs. Clement's little boy so the last time we saw him he was but a babe who was crawling in reverse in the body in the library. And that, of course, is the vicar and his wife Griselda's baby, who they are pregnant with at the end of the murder at the vicarage. So we we do see time proceeding ever so slowly in the Marpleverse. It's certainly not as quick as in the Tommy and Tuppence stories, but it's not as static as the Poirot-verse tends to be. Time really does move a bit. And I only harp on that because we will see that in future Miss Marple novels to come, and it will actually feature prominently and importantly in some of those stories in really interesting ways. Right. Just to keep that in mind. Good point. 11 days later, 
after Mary Higgins has just been this paragon of a maid and the, the Skinners just can't say enough good things about her, the perfect maid has gone missing. And not only has she gone missing, much more importantly, a whole bunch of valuable stuff has gone missing. Oh, a whole lot. A whole lot. So there is jewelry missing from both Miss Lavinia and Miss Emily. Also, the young Mrs. Devereaux, who is one half of that young newlywed couple who also live at Old Hall, her diamonds have gone missing. The Indian judge and his wife, they also own some jewels that are no longer there. And then the widow, Mrs. Carmichael, a.k.a. the bird lady, (laughs) um, she lost a whole bunch of jewels and a great wad of cash. So she she lost a great deal. Yeah, apparently part of being the perfect maid for Mary Higgins was figuring out a way into the other three flats <laughs> so that she could steal pretty much anything that wasn't nailed down of value. Oops. Yikes. Yikes. <laughs> Not good. And and Miss Marple, you know, you know that she is just one step away from being like, I told you so. Nobody is that perfect. <laughs> Oh, she's she's like a quarter of a step away. <laughs> she basically says it. Let's be honest. She really does. And before that happens, too, because Miss Marple, of course, is omniscient, Miss Marple says to Lavinia Skinner, she sounds to me almost too good to be true. I should, well, I should be a little careful if I were you. And then Christie writes, Lavinia Skinner failed to perceive the point of this remark. She said, oh, I assure you, I do all I can to make her comfortable. I don't know what I should do if she left. I don't expect she'll leave until she's ready to leave, said Miss Marple, and stared very hard at her hostess. I just love when Miss Marple stares hard at people because you know there's a storm a-coming. When Miss Marple stares hard at someone. That's never a good thing. No, never a good thing. It's like, get a hint, lady. Get a hint, lady. Do you not see Miss Marple's dark stare at you? It's like Dark Marple is unfurling its wings and about to envelop you in it, you know, the the dark void. <laughs> Dark marble shall rise. <laughs> I know. It's like one of those parody things where like there's a vampire like trying to come up on somebody and like nobody notices. You just keep walking by. <laughs> so the storm has come and what is the aftermath, Catherine? Well, Inspector Slack is brought in. He's brought in in large part because they discovered that the real Mary Higgins, who in fact is a real person with impeccable references, she lives in Cornwall. So that was not Mary Higgins. And also a very similar incident to this happened in Northumberland the year before, but the thieves had never been caught. Um, And it's assumed that it's part of like a crime syndicate and somebody comes in posing as a maid, um, robs everybody, and then brings it to the rest of the gang to fence the goods. Also, Miss Emily is so distraught over all this that she finally deigns to call on the lowly Dr. Haydock, country doctor. And it swiftly becomes clear to the town that he prescribes her the same remedy that one would provide to, quote, malingerers in the army. So Dr. Haydock is exactly as unimpressed by Emily Skinner's illnesses as everyone thought he was likely to be. Right. So not not good for Miss Emily. Not good for Miss Emily, but we're kind of at a standstill at the end of the world as it actually is. I mean, it seems like Mary Higgins has pulled one over on the Mrs. Skinner. And even though Miss Marple knew better, her warning was not heeded. And 
oh, well, Mary Higgins is gone. Everyone still thinks Gladys stole this brooch before Mary Higgins even came on the scene. It's all a bit of a mess. But luckily, we have some clues to bridge us over to the world as it actually is. So, Catherine, take it away. Clue number one. This was not my clue last time that it came up, Kemper, but I feel like it has just come back to me like a boomerang. Never underestimate the help. Oh, I've I mean, never heard that before. <laughs> <laughs> How many times do you think we need to say this, Kemper? You know, I just want to say to all of our listeners, the next time you have a waiter or a barista or a housekeeper or a concierge, please, please look them in the face and recognize them as people the same as you. Because otherwise, dear listeners, you may find yourself in a Christie story. You're either going to get murdered or, if you're lucky, robbed. <laughs> right. So the deduction here is the maid is too good to be true, which Miss Marple obviously repeatedly warns Lavinia about. And so the deduction here may well be that the maid is actually not a real person or at least a real maid. I think this also plays into our second clue. Oh, and I'm so happy to get this clue because it is another it's your, one of classic. your favorites. It's one of my favorites, actually. We are told when Miss Marple visits Miss Emily uh, during that first visit, and she goes into her room, and it is a sick room. It's a room with these nice windows, and it would have all this light streaming through, except the blinds are drawn, meaning there's mm-hmm. bad lighting in this room. <laughs> Oh, no. Ah, yes. Bad lighting should always raise at least one eyebrow for an astute reader reading Christie. So we might want to consider why Emily Skinner has decided to sit in the gloom of this room. And again, going off of the fact that perhaps our maid is not an actual person, this just might get us thinking about why Emily Skinner might want to exist in the shadows and whether she has an alternate persona, say? She certainly has a lot of downtime since she's supposed to be sitting in that darkened room for many hours in the day. Which brings us to our third clue, which might be slightly harder to pick up on unless you're looking for it, but it's another favorite clue. Oh, yeah. If we're actually looking carefully we will notice that Emily and Mary Higgins are never seen in the same place at the same time. They are heard at the same time. Miss Marple overhears the two of them when she goes to pay a call. Like Um, having a conversation. uh, Correct. Having a conversation. (laughs) In the other room. Yeah. But we don't see them together. We only hear them together. And what do we know about this trope, Kemper? Can't ever trust just one sense. This is the faulty eyewitness testimony clue, right? Yep. And the eyewitness in this case is Miss Marple, but Miss Marple obviously does not fall for this because we'll get to this in a second. But Miss Marple accidentally, quote unquote, dropping her bag happens immediately after this. So, Miss Marple... Dark Marple does not do anything by accident. No, she doesn't. Yeah, so I mean, the deduction of this clue, as I think we have already pointed out, is that if two people are never seen together, and there's good effort made to make it seem as though they're in the same room having a conversation, maybe, A, they're not in the same room, and B, maybe there's something else up with their relationship. Yeah. I mean, we've come across that don't trust one sense clue so many times. And a corollary I'll add right now, because we've seen it time and again, is that especially when that sense is 
hearing only. Like when you're hearing something that sounds one way, but you don't have the visual cues to confirm it, that is when we should be particularly suspicious. I'm sure we have the reverse somewhere. Yeah, definitely. I'm sure we've already covered it where you see something, but you don't hear and, and the visual is misleading. But Murder of Roger Ackroyd, where we had some dictaphone hijinks, the man in the brown suit, where we also had a similar situation to here, where there was a bit of of eavesdropping really in that case, not just overhearing in another room. But um, yeah, we've just seen this so many times. So let's get to our resolution here. As we mentioned, when Miss Marple dropped her bag, she did it deliberately because she's Miss Marple. And not only is she omniscient, she is omnipotent and she does not do anything by accident. And she also seems to have made sure that there was that sticky candy in the bag to hand to Mary Higgins. Who even knows if it was from Mrs. Clement's son, David? It probably wasn't. She probably just planted it there herself. I know. She probably just like took a hard candy out of the tray, musty tray in her living room and like licked it a few times and put it in her bag. (laughs) Or maybe she took it from poor David. (laughs) Oh, that is dark. She's like, give me your candy, Sonny. That is really an escalation of my very innocuous dark marple theory. And I have a feeling, Kemper, that listeners are not going to appreciate that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. In other words, she got Mary Higgins's fingerprints on that mirror on purpose because the sequence of events we are told is that Mary Higgins touches the sticky candy and then she picks up the mirror to hand back to Miss Marple. What does Miss Marple do with that mirror, Catherine? Brings it to Inspector Slack saying that, oh, well, if there's not a Mary Higgins, actually Mary Higgins picked up this mirror so it will have her fingerprints on it. And Slack is essentially like, oh, what a solid lead. I will bring this right up to Scotland Yard. And Miss Marple, guess what she gives him? She gives him the same death stare. Mm-hmm. Another hard stare. Definite, storm coming. Definite <laughs> hard stare. And then she, quote unquote, casually <laughs> suggests that maybe he look a little closer to home. She says, while staring him down. I do have to say, I don't know if the sort of evidentiary trail of Miss Marple having gotten this mirror from Mary Higgins like weeks earlier would hold up in court. You would just have to take Miss Marple's word for it that she didn't tamper in any way with the mirror. I mean, we know that she didn't because she's Miss Marple and well, dark Marple or not, she does not lie. But I mean, I assume that it couldn't be admissible evidence, right? I mean, there she's just using it to prompt Inspector Slack towards the actual culprit. Well, we can talk about it when we get to the other side of this, but the fingerprints are crucial here. I mean, the fingerprints on the mirror are the proof. Yeah, they are. Inspectors like need. So, you know, should this go to trial, I think I would have to think that the defense would have a field day with the sort of faulty trail of this evidence and the many, the many, many opportunities that Miss Marple and perhaps other people would have had, say, Gladys, who clearly has access to Miss Marple's home and was a scorned employee of the sister Skinner, um, there just seemed to be, you know, so many opportunities to tamper with this mirror and the fingerprint on it. No. Okay. So what is going on here exactly, Kemper? So what is going on here exactly? Emily Skinner, of course, is Mary Higgins. And the entire thing was a ruse. The whole invalid thing was a pose on the part of Miss Emily Skinner. The firing of poor Gladys was planned out beforehand because, of course, they needed to fire her in order to hire 
the perfect maid. So, you know, either Emily or Lavinia are obviously the ones that took the brooch, said it disappeared, and then replaced it in that drawer, and then got all weird about Gladys and fired her after she broke a dish, looking for an excuse to fire her, which is so cruel. And um, they did this, of course, so that they could rob their neighbors and give it to a fence <laughs> because right. clearly they are part of some larger criminal enterprise here and they've done this before. They seem to be at least associated with, if not the exact people who pulled off that Northumberland crime as well. Correct. And Miss Marple intuits all of this, both based on the fact that Gladys is an upright person and that she never really trusted the Skinner sisters, who after all are newcomers to St. Mary Mead, whereas Gladys is someone that she has known pretty much since birth, including her family. And community means a lot to Miss Marple. She comes from a place where everybody knows your name and she doesn't know the the Skinners. So she's immediately just very suspicious of them. Well, you know, this becomes problematic a little bit if you take that too far, the sort of insular view of Miss Marple as to character and whatnot. But, right. you know, for the purposes of this story, she is certainly correct. And Inspector Slack gets a congrats from Colonel Melchett, you know, Slack pretty much detests Miss Marple because she's always right, but he seems to have no problem taking credit mm-hmm. for, you know, her ingenuity. And Miss Marple gets to save Gladys's reputation, which is the only thing that she really cared about. Or Right, she does I, not actually care about the jewel theft at all, it seems. No, no, she really doesn't. And this is how she puts it. It's actually really funny because this story ends oddly. And not badly, but oddly, where Miss Marple essentially harangues Inspector Slack yes. about, well, of course, these sisters were in on it the whole time and they were trying to give uh, this poor girl a bad character and I just won't have it. And she gets very indignant and almost kind of strident for Miss Marple, especially. I know, it's a she's little usually, bit surprising. It's very surprising. I mean, I have to say... The Miss Marple in the novels, I think, is fairly consistent. And we saw Christy do this in a lot of the Poirot short stories, too. She's just a little looser with everything in the short stories. So I think she has more fun with Miss Marple. Like we saw that in Strange Jest, the comedic hijinks were flying. And I think we see it here where Miss Marple is acting in almost like a sitcom-y kind of a manner well, than what we come to expect she's from her. one small step away from slamming down a walking stick and saying, good day, sir. I said good day. She really is. This was, by the way, my favorite line in the whole thing. Because, by the way, it's not enough that Emily Skinner was sitting in bad lighting. We're also told that she was wearing a wig. Because, you know, <laughs> why not have a little costuming if you yeah. if you possibly can? And this, she says, and if that hair of hers isn't a wig, I, I'll eat my own back switch! Exclamation point. And I actually had to look up back switch, and I have to say, Google was not particularly forthcoming. <laughs> I had a pretty good idea of what it was, and I found a couple of references in older text to it. I mean, it's a hairpiece. Right. It's like the hairpiece that you kind of add to, not in the front, but in the back of your hair to make it fuller. So apparently Miss Marple, you know, wears a back switch. There was a trend a few years ago when um, they sold it on like infomercials and you could get it like on those end caps that had those as seen on TV things, like a bun or like a top knot. And then you wrap your hair around it. It's the same thing. Christy actually talks about that in her autobiography really entertainingly because she says that even though everyone had really long hair when she was a young woman, a girl and a young woman, you still had to use hair pieces because 
often your hair still wasn't full and like full enough for the effect that you were going for, or it just like wouldn't go in the exact right way. So it's like you had this ridiculously long hair and then you ended up having to tie it up anyway and then add more hair to it. And it was all just kind of a mess and really annoying. Well, and you, she was very happy so, when she could right. cut her hair. So you, so you put, <laughs> right. So you put those pieces underneath your actual hair. Yeah. And then like wrap your hair around them. It all they, feels a little Victorian in a charming way, which is of course very Miss Marple. Except for the fact they still exist. <laughs> no, I mean, of course they do, but I think that it's a bit of a novelty now. I mean, I don't think people are wearing that every day, but Miss Marple seems to wear it every day. Well, I mean, extensions are definitely a thing that still exists. Absolutely. So not that different. No, it's true. Same same principle. Right. You're adding to uh, what nature gave you. But yeah, she really does just kind of work herself up into a frothy lather and end saying, I'm not going to have one of our village girls' characters for honesty taken away like that. Gladys Holmes is, an, is as honest as the day, and everybody's going to know it. Good afternoon. <laughs> Good afternoon indeed, Kemper. And of course, she's right. Slack is bested once again. Dark Marple reigns supreme. The end. The end. I don't think there's anything else to say about I mean the only the only disappointment is that we don't find out that one of the Skinner sisters is an actress. Couldn't Emily Skinner at least have been like an amateur actress or I like know. been really good at theatricals at home or something? <laughs> I know. I, I that detail would have just really made it because like we already have a hat trick in the clues, but you know, having a fourth classic Christie clue would have just been yeah. really chef's kiss. <laughs> All right. Well, that is the case of the perfect maid. Join us next time for another short story. We are going to be doing something a little different. We are opening up a new collection of short stories of Christie's from the 30s that we have thus far never covered pretty much. Technically, The Witness for the Prosecution is a part of this collection, but obviously it kind of stands on its own as a much celebrated Christie title. But next time we will be covering The Red Signal, which is a short story that first appeared in The Hound of Death, which is a short story collection of Christie's that is an assortment of outliers. And we will discuss the collection itself a lot. You make it sound so intriguing. A collection of outliers, (laughs) Kemper. (laughs) I I believe you, you called them oddballs at one point as well. Outliers. I possibly. Yeah. That sounds like something I would have said. Oddballs, outliers, weirdos. This should be enticing because we love when Christy goes off the beaten path and she definitely does so within this collection. And very exciting that we haven't really discussed it yet. That's how many things there are to discuss when it comes to Christy. That's how much material there is that we've been doing this podcast for almost three years and there is a short story collection that we have yet to to discuss from the 1930s. So, long live Christy, the Red Signal. Indeed. In the meantime, we would love to see uh, more people join us on our Patreon site. Lots of good stuff over there. Check it out if you haven't already. Patreon.com slash allaboutagatha. You can email us at allaboutthedame.com 
You can tweet at us at All About the Dame or tweet at Catherine at Brobcat. Our Facebook page is All About Agatha. Our Instagram handle is at All About Agatha. And we would love it if you would take a moment to rate and review us. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a Swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.